Book Three, Chapter Four of the Life of John Ruskin by W. G. Collingwood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of John Ruskin by W. G. Collingwood, Book Three, Hermit and Heretic, eighteen sixty to eighteen seventy. Chapter Four: Sesame and Lilies, eighteen sixty-four. Recording by Cheyenne Arrowsmith. Wider aims and weaker health had not put an end to Ruskin's connection with the workingmen's college, though he did not now teach a drawing class regularly. He had, as he said, the satisfaction of knowing. That they had very good masters in Messrs. Lewis Dickinson, Jeffrey, and Cave Thomas, and his work was elsewhere. He was to have lectured there on December the nineteenth, eighteen sixty-three, but he did not reach home until about Christmas, better than he had been, and ready to give the promised address on January the thirtieth, eighteen sixty-four. Beside which. He used to visit the place occasionally of an evening to take note of progress, and some of his pupils were now more directly under his care. It was from one of these visits to the college on February the twenty-seventh that he returned, past midnight, and found his father waiting up for him to read some letters he had written. Next morning, the old man, close upon seventy-nine years of age, was struck with his last illness and died on March the third. He was buried at Shirley Church near Addington in Surrey, not far from Croydon, and the legend on his tomb records: he was an entirely honest merchant, and his memory is to all who keep it dear and helpful. His son, whom he loved to the utmost and taught to speak truth, says this of him. Mister John James Ruskin, like many other of our successful merchants, had been an open-handed patron of art, and a cheerful giver not only to needy friends and relatives, but also to various charities. For example, as a kind of personal tribute to Osborne Gordon, his son's tutor, he gave five thousand pounds toward the augmentation of poor Christchurch livings. His son's open-handed way with dependents and servants was learned from the old merchant, who, unlike many hard-working money-makers, was always ready to give, though he could not bear to lose. In spite of which. He left a considerable fortune behind him, considerable when it is understood to be the earnings of his single-handed industry and steady sagacity in legitimate business, without indulgence in speculation. He left one hundred twenty thousand pounds with various other property to his son. To his wife, he left his house and thirty-seven thousand pounds. And a void which it seemed at first nothing could fill, for of later years the sun had drifted out of their horizon, with ideas on religion and the ordering of life so very different from theirs, and had been much away from home. 
he sometimes said selfishly but not without the greatest of all excuses necessity and so the two old people had been brought closer than ever together and she had lived entirely for her husband but as browning said put a sticking anywhere and she will run up it so the brave old lady did not faint under the blow and fade away but transferred her affections and interests to her son before his father's death the difference of feeling between them arising out of the heretical economy had been healed old mr ruskin's will treated his son with all confidence in spite of his unorthodox views and unbusinesslike ways and for nearly eight years longer his mother lived on to see him pass through his probation period into such recognition as an oxford professorship implied and to find in her last years his later books becoming more and more what they always ought to have been to her at the same time her failing sight and strength needed a constant household companion her son though he did not leave home yet awhile for any long journeys could not be always with her only six weeks after the funeral he was called away for a time to fulfil a lecture engagement at bradford before going he brought his pretty young scotch cousin miss joanna ruskin agnew to demarque for a week's visit she recommended herself at once to the old lady and to carlyle who happened to call by her frank good nature and unquenchable spirits and her visit lasted seven years until she was married to arthur seven son of the ruskin's old friend joseph seven british consul at rome even then she was not allowed far out of their sight but settled in the old house at hernhill nor virtually said ruskin in the last chapter of prayer to rita have she and i ever parted since all through that year he remained at home except for short necessary visits and frequent evenings with carlyle and when in december he gave those lectures in manchester which afterwards as sesame and lilies became his most popular work we can trace his better health of mind and body in a brighter tongue of his thought we can hear the echo of carlyle's talk in the heroic aristocratic stoic ideals and in the insistence on the value of books and free public libraries carlyle being the founder of the london library and we may suspect that his thoughts on women's influence and education had been not a little directed by those months in the company of the dear old lady and dito young to whom carlyle used to send his love in eighteen sixty four a new series of papers on art was begun the only published work upon art of all these ten years the papers ran in the art journal from january to july eighteen sixty five and from january to april eighteen sixty six under the title of the sisters of argalia by which was meant the girdle or restraining law of beauty as personified in the wife of hephaestus the lord of labour their intention was to suggest and to evoke by correspondence some laws for present practice of art 
in our schools, which may be admitted, if not with absolute, at least with a sufficient consent, by leading artists. As a first step, the author asked for the elementary rules of drawing. For his own contribution, he showed the value of the pure line, such as he had used in his own early drawings. Later on, he had adopted a looser and more picturesque style of handling the point, and in the elements of drawing, he had taught his readers to take Rembrandt's etchings as exemplary. But now he felt that this evasive manner, as he called it, had its dangers, and so these papers attempted to supersede the amateurish object lesson of the earlier work by stricter rules for a severer style, prematurely, as it proved, for the chapters came to an end before the promised code was formulated. The same work was taken up again in The Laws of Fethol, but the use of the pure line, which Ruskin's percept failed to enforce, was, in the end, taught to the public by the charming practice of Mr. Walter Crane and Miss Greenaway. A lecture at the Camberwell Workingman's Institute on Work and Play was given on January the 24th, 1865, which, as it was printed, in the crown of wild olive, we will notice further on. Various letters and papers on political and social economy and other subjects hardly call for separate notice, with the exception of one very important address to the Royal Institution of British Architects, given May the 15th, on the study of architecture in our schools. End of Book 3, Chapter 4 Recording by Cheyenne Arrowsmith